We all know the fairy tale of Pinocchio, of how Geppetto carved him from wood and how the small puppet then asked the blue fairy to make him a real boy. And she said yes. Prove yourself brave, truthful and unselfish and someday you will be a real boy. A real boy! That's the Pinocchio we know from the magnificent animated version produced by Walt Disney in 1940. However, Carlo Collodi's original from 1883 is so markedly different, it is as if someone swapped Disney's fable of goodness and virtue for a story of sinister and cynical malevolence. Collodi's Pinocchio has his legs burned off, is stabbed, whipped, robbed and kidnapped. Collodi then ends a story with the murder of the little puppet. The fox and the cat capture Pinocchio, tie down his arms, loop a noose around his neck and hang him from a tree. Such darkness is present in many of the original fairy tales that have been sanitised, if not infantilised, for the modern era. Goldilocks, written in 1837 by Robert Southey, ends with a young girl being ripped to shreds by the three bears. Little Red Riding Hood, first printed in 1697 by Charles Perrault, has the young girl devoured by the big bad wolf. Sleeping Beauty, written in 1634 by Jean-Baptiste Basile, the young woman is not woken from her slumber by the kiss of a handsome prince. No, she is raped by the king while comatose and she only wakens years after she has given birth to twins. All fairy tales morph over time, but the Bodlerization began in earnest early in the 19th century with German academics Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. A further laundering occurred in English late in the Victorian era by which time childhood had been vaulted to a state of innocence and purity. But if that explains how Walt Disney came to brighten Carlo Collodi's very dark story, how does it explain Steven Spielberg, a director renowned for his family-friendly fare, casting it back into the even darker shadows of AI, artificial intelligence? Mommy loves Martin because he is real, and when I am real, Mommy's going to read to me and tuck me in my bed and sing to me and listen to what I say, and she will cuddle with me and tell me every day, a hundred times a day, that she loves me. She loves what you do for her. As my customers love what it is I do for them. There is an argument to be said that science fiction is the fairy tale made modern. After all, both genres use fantastical elements to bring into extreme focus the dreads and dreams of everyday life. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Released in 2001, AI Artificial Intelligence began life back in the 1970s when Stanley Kubrick, already fascinated by Collodi's tale, came across Brian Aldous's Super Toys last all summer long. The science fiction short story envisages a future where famine threatens one quarter of the world's population. Because of this, pregnancies are limited by government sanction. When Monica Swinton is disturbed by the behaviour of her young son David, she is relieved to learn from her husband Henry that the government has finally granted them a licence to have a real child. Monica then decides to have David return to the factory where he was made. For years, Kubrick struggled with the adaptation, bringing in various writers and concept artists to help realise his sci-fi fairy tale. 
But he found what was really impeding him was the limitations of film technology. Special effects were not yet sufficiently developed to meet with his ambition. That changed when he saw Spielberg's Jurassic Park. The two soon entered into a collaboration and after a while Kubrick suggested to Spielberg that he should direct it. But with both of them committed to other projects, the production was delayed. Then in 1999, merely weeks after he had completed Eyes Wide Shut, Kubrick died. Shortly thereafter, his widow Christiana contacted Spielberg with the suggestion that he take the project and complete it himself. All of which resulted in a film that a lot of people erroneously think Spielberg had softened, sweetened and lightened Kubrick's supposedly cynical, clinical, steely-eyed vision. Your rifle is only a tool. It is a hard heart that kills. Do you believe in God? The question is, does God believe in me? I happen to believe in a life after this one. I know I'll have to answer what I've done. I think I can. There are a few things more fundamentally encouraging and stimulating than seeing someone else die. The problem with claiming Spielberg diluted Kubrick's dark tale is that it encourages you to guess which scenes Spielberg changed and which remained Kubrick's. And so you end up seeing not the film, but a series of ruptures, alterations from Kubrick's original to Spielberg's reimagining. Besides being wrong, the problem with that exercise is that it pulls you away from a film that possesses perhaps the most wondrous merging of two of cinema's greatest talents. It doesn't matter that they were different. That they were different helps make AI so great. Imagine, for instance, a film resulting from a collaboration between Orson Welles and Akira Kurosawa. And even our collective wildest imaginations might never meet what those two geniuses could create. Or how about Pedro Almodovar and Ingmar Bergman? Just pick some of Sweden's greatest actresses and watch their identities merge and their genders change. Or how about Hayao Miyazaki and Wes Anderson? I have no idea what that might bring, but considering Anderson's next project is a stop-motion animated story about a Japanese boy's odyssey in search of his dog, we won't have to wait too long to find out. So, what does the merging of Spielberg and Kubrick bring us? Considering the film is the product of two directors, it is rather fitting that duality is one of AI's recurring motifs. But we should not be too surprised by this, because both filmmakers had explored the theme independently of one another. Just look at Lolita. There, the characters of Humbert Humbert and Claire Quilty are flip sides of one another, but both in paedophilic pursuit of the same child. In A Clockwork Orange, Alex Delarge is cured so that he transformed into the very polar opposite of his sociopathic self. In The Shining, Jack Torrance is not himself, but the embodiment of several caretakers who've always worked at the Overlook Hotel. And it was in Full Metal Jacket that Kubrick most explicitly verbalized the theme. Marine, what is that button on your body armor? A peace symbol, sir. Where'd you get it? I don't remember, sir. What is that you've got written on your helmet? Born to kill, sir. You write born to kill on your helmet and you wear a peace button. What's that supposed to be, some kind of sick joke? No, sir. What is it supposed to mean? I don't know, sir. You don't know very much, do you? No, sir. You better get your head and your ass wired together or I will take a giant shit on you. Yes, sir. Now answer my question or you'll be standing tall before the man. I think I was trying to suggest something about the duality of man, sir. The what? 
The duality of man, the Jungian thing, sir. For Spielberg, idealistic archaeologist Indiana Jones is the flip side of the mercenary Nazi collaborator René Belloc. Then in E.T., the identities of both the very lost extraterrestrial and the very lonely Elliot become so entwined that they depend on each other for their own well-being. Likewise, Oscar Schindler's conscience is only awoken when he finally recognises his own unchecked id in Amon Goeth's barbarism. And in Bridge of Spies, a global conflict focuses on one city that is divided into two, the split determined by the opposing ideologies of democracy and communism. Please, have a seat, Mr. Donovan. Uh, how did you arrive to the Eastern Sector? The train, the S-Bahn. Uh, and you were alone? Yeah. And you are credentialed? Now, you must know about me, sir. I'm a private citizen. I'm a lawyer in Brooklyn, in the United States, and I've taken time out of my busy schedule to help my client, Rudolph Abel. I'm authorized to arrange an exchange of Abel for Francis Gary Powers. This is a full pardon of Abel that will be signed when the exchange actually takes place. This is the only reason I'm here. I hope and expect to make this arrangement quickly. Abel for Francis Gary Powers. AI comes loaded with duality, doubles, mirrors and echoes. Most obviously, you have David, who is the robot son whom Monica and Henry Swinton have purchased from the Cyrogenics Institute as a surrogate for their biological son, Martin, who has been in a coma for the last five years. Martin's comatose state is then echoed by David at the end of the film, where he sits in suspended animation for thousands of years. That both Martin and David's time is spent inside protective pods only deepens the similarities and differences between the two. David becomes acutely aware of both their similarities and differences because very soon after arriving in the Swinton house, he gazes upon the Swinton family portraits, his face appearing in the reflection as he sees the boy he has been designed to replace. Much later, when David arrives in Professor Hobby's laboratory, he comes face to face with a replica of himself, also called David, and he then sees a myriad of masks which are perfect replicas of his own face. Then there are tears. The first time we see one, we almost miss it. It comes in the opening scene when Professor Hobby exposes the inner mechanics of a female robot. As her face comes apart, a tiny drop of water splashes down on the inner frame of her head. It is a tear that will also appear on Monica's face as she weeps when she forcefully abandons David in the forest. And of course, David's own tears when he is reunited with Monica two millennia later. But in between, we have the tears of joy and trepidation that Gigolo Joe brings to the real woman he is about to service. And then Joe all but sheds his own tear when, as he watches David leap from one of Manhattan's surviving skyscrapers, the image of David falling is reflected in the glass and his tumbling form slides down Joe's face. In a film that positively gorges with haunting images, perhaps the most poignant is the one where a robot weeps for the death of another robot. Some of those tears are wiped away by hands, and hands are what figuratively and literally unite several of the characters and their differing emotional states. When Monica learns that her biological son Martin has been resurrected, 
The camera dollies in on her hand as it clutches a bracket on the wall. The tension in her fingers betray the dread and delight in the return of her real son. Later, when David undergoes an operation, he raises his hand in desperation, hoping that Monica will hold it. Again, Spielberg offers a close-up, and again the grip of the fingers display the dread of being abandoned and the delight of being reunited. And then of course there are the hands in the poem by W.B. Yeats that anchors both the film's dreams and its nightmares. Come away, O human child, to the waters and the wild, with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Vivid and deeply emotive as the film's dreams are, it's the nightmare that prevails. And for me, that more than dismisses all claims that Spielberg varnished Kubrick's dark vision. As written and directed by Spielberg, the story shows the world as we know it, coming to an end on three separate occasions. Kubrick only managed that once. <laughs> 